last question we have for you, Blatman, that I think everyone, all of our listeners are, are pretty curious about. How would you compare the thrill of winning an Ivy League title to the thrill of winning a game of COD Warzone? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good one. Wow. Um, I think the COD Warzone feeling is just something that you can't really put into words. Um, I think, you know, winning a, an Ivy championship is something that was an amazing experience, but COD Warzone, I think just takes it to a next level. Um, you know, you know, you're playing against a bunch of kids who spend a lot of time on the game and you're just going in and just, you're just showing them who's boss. So I'm going to have to put that above the, uh, the Ivy championship. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota, the states most known for their state fairs and air and water shows, respectively. We're going to be talking soccer, going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. We also recently created our Instagram page on which we're featuring a wide range of great content. So throw us a follow at Footy Fellas Pod on Instagram. That's F O O T Y Fellas Pod on Instagram. We got a really special guest on the pod today, Jack Blatman who's going to talk about life as a D1 soccer player and help us decide what the best possible game day experience is at stadiums around the U.S. and England. How do you guys think the first guest interview went when we talked to, talked to Jack earlier? Jack was a, was a gentleman and a scholar and uh, had some very uh, unique insights into um, English football that, that I value. I haven't been to many games, so um, hearing, hearing his input was really um, impactful for my future plans. I second that. Jack was great. He's a great interviewer, a uh, great interviewee. Um, he had a lot of great things to say. I think, as Jones was mentioning, I think people are going to take his words of wisdom when they go to England and want to watch a soccer game. I think he gives some great insight as to which types of teams and which environments make for an amazing experience. We got a couple other exciting guests lined up, obviously, for some some future pods as well so i know we're excited and hope all of you are excited because you trust us and if we're excited you should be excited we were chatting earlier this week also about uh, memento as a movie that i have not seen but both of you have seen and probably everyone else listening has seen based on the way that you guys kind of laughed at me and poked fun at me for not seeing it what's your take on those kind of psychological thriller movies is that what you'd recommend watching right now is that what you enjoy watching now always oh yeah the thriller movies thriller shows yeah all all the thrillers i'm a big fan of memento's great can't believe you haven't seen it oh eli 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 just a shame you better get on that i think in this in this current climate there's definitely an interesting uh segmentation you can fall into do you uh need to escape and watch something completely different from reality? Are you watching just like nice puppies and animals? Are you watching fantasy? Um, do you look for the adrenaline, are you the adrenaline junkie and going for the thriller? Or are you like just leaning into the, the chaos that is the world right now and watching pandemic or 2012 or any of these apocalyptic 
kind of films. I say generally for myself, similar to, to Icy here, I'm a thriller guy and I love a good psychological thriller and Memento does it. It, it is, it is, uh, is a failure on my behalf, Eli, uh, to have not exposed you to that movie before. You're taking um, it. You're taking it pretty personally. This one's at least on you me. have been since, this we, one's on since me. we spoke. Yesterday. I don't know how I let this slip through the cracks. It's kind of like that one kid in class, you know, like eighth grade who can't read, and you're like, how did they, how did they make it this far without, <laughs> without actually and, learning? And you took responsibility for those kids. Yeah, hey, I said, Henry, <laughs> dude, I'm so sorry you can't read. That's totally on me. I, I should not have been at recess playing ball and balling on these kids. I should have been teaching you how to read. Exactly. Exactly. I felt bad when sophomore year of college, Icy leans over and he's like, look, dude, I can't read like any of this, any of this, man. Can you, <laughs> can you help? To which I said, Icy, dude, no. Dude, and cut me some know. slack. Cut me some slack. We were taking Japan. That was a Japanese class when I said that to you, dude. You can't just, you can't intro. just. It was intro Japanese. That, that was intro Japanese, dude. Jones, you're trying to. We're trying to steer our listeners into a direction that we don't want them to go. Um, this was intro Japanese. I was confused. You obviously had been to Japan once or twice before, so you were a little well-versed. I was wanting some help, but now I see what a friend you are. Throw me under the bus. You, you know, you know, friends, friends push friends to be better. Um, and so uh, I, I may have shoved you, maybe a little bit more of a put. I may have like pushed you over um, a ravine into a, a very deep, deep cage. With or a sucker punch to the groin. Yeah, over and over again. Yeah, if you want to be metaphorical about it, sure, it could have been like a sucker punch to the groin. Moving into this week's storylines, we're going to have Jones take us through last week today, the biggest storylines from the last week today, and kind of give you a sense of what you should be in the know about if you're not already. Thanks for that. I don't know if we keep that or take that. <laughs> and a couple headlines, a couple headlines we got to keep in mind as we um, head into uh, another week during the quarantine. Um, first things first, the Premier League has confirmed, um, you guys may have heard this already, the, the current season, this 2019-2020 uh, season, will not resume at the beginning of May, definitely will not, and will only return when safe and appropriate to do so. They also announced that players will be asked to take a 30% pay cut. Um, they've also, they being the FA, have, uh, and all of the teams in the Premier League, have committed to donating $20 million to the uh, NHS, the National Health Service, um, to help and aid during these times, as well as donate uh, $125 million to the EFL and National League. Those represent the lower tier leagues um, in England. Um, another thing coming out of the Premier League is the, um, the current headline of clubs, uh, or queue, should I say, of, of clubs that are um, under fire for furloughing their non-working staff. Um, a few days ago, it was just Tottenham and Newcastle. Um, and now it's grown to include Norwich, Bournemouth, and Liverpool, um, all of which that are, are starting to elect to um, uh, admit their own uh, staff, non-working staff, um, into the public furlough program provided by the English government. Another headline coming out 
of Belgium is that Club Rouge are likely to be crowned the league winner of the Jupiler Pro League. I hope I butchered that. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> uh, which is Belgium's league. Uh, as the um, as they are currently about 15 points ahead of the group uh, or of anyone else, and um, it feels a little out of reach. There is a playoff in the end, um, but I think for public safety reasons, they're thinking they just cancel it as is and dub them league leaders um, and winners. Do you guys think that they should do that with all other European leagues or uh, that we just let them go at some point? I think Liverpool deserves to win. You know, it might not be the, uh, you know, the the victory that's, it might be a bittersweet victory for them after 31 years, but I think it's the same situation as Club Bruges. They they can't be, they're they're not going to be catchable. They're three wins away from securing it. Uh, so, I mean, maybe let them play five more games. They'll win three out of the five, and we're off. But they're not touchable. They should win. Yeah, that's fair. It's hard. You kind of have to set the line in the sand where, similar to what they did for the Jupiler League, Jubiler, Jubiler, is determine that 15 points were too many. I'm pretty sure Liverpool's up by 15 points at least, if you know, or right around that amount. Because it doesn't make sense to say we're going to play until – they win if the reason that they're not playing in the first place is for the player's safety and for any other logistical issues that they'd still run into playing another three or X games until Liverpool clinches it. So I think you either have to decide now or decide, okay, it's now safe enough. The, the reasons we weren't playing beforehand have changed and it's now safe enough to finish the season in its entirety, basically. Because it affects teams that are getting relegated that might be, you know, in 18th versus 17th. And there's obviously a lot more important things going on in life right now and and people's health and safety and things like that at stake but come next year hopefully things are you know are better in the world and there's still soccer to play and teams have still gotten either relegated or promoted and it makes a huge difference for their fans and for their their bottom line as businesses and, and you know as teams players another headline coming out is the uh, partnership with espn and, and the nba where they're contemplating the horse competition uh, where they would uh, not be riding horses, which is what my first impression was, but rather they would be playing the game horse um, from their respective own home gyms, and uh, it would be like live streamed. Um, my question for you guys, real quick, is do you um, do you guys think Steph Curry would easily run away with this, or are there any other contenders that I'm not thinking of who would ball out and uh, potentially win with some creative shots in uh, at home horse? Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso, that's all I'll say. Go ahead, Winter. I want to see players shooting from their garage, like up on the roof or something. It's got their it. Got to get probably, yeah, their garages are probably so far from the hoop, like down the driveway, right at <laughs> the end or from the arena. Right. Right. It, it almost turns into, like invariably, it will turn into MTV Cribs, but ESPN Cribs. So it's really going to be like, totally. okay, like, all right, we're going to do a trick shot out of my um, out of Olympic my, size my, swimming pool. <laughs> right and he needs to go through the stained glass windows and then you know uh, has to has to trickle down you have to have it trickle down your um your yacht that you have parked in in your in your you know hangar and then you know trickles through into like like there's just so much room for flexing so if, if that's what we're looking for if, if we're just shifting espn to be a lifestyle channel then a flex zone if you will i love that uh, last quick headline is that WrestleMania happened. Look, guys, I've never cared about WrestleMania. I didn't even know what it is. 
um, but it keeps popping up on news feeds. Um, the WrestleMania, in case you didn't know this, is like the culmination of all of their different plots and storylines where they wrestle throughout the year, um, the wrestlers, that is. And then they have like their, their championship battles. Um, and they're super dramatic and overplayed and definitely scripted. Um, but, you know, it's been very funny because there's no crowd there. So they're just doing it kind of an open, empty um, studio. Um, so if you have a couple minutes and you want to watch some entertaining, really, really fake acting, um, but com- compelling storylines, I'll tell you that, compelling. WrestleMania, peep it. I don't know if you're talking about WrestleMania or the horse competition right there. Either like storylines, fake acting. Sounds you know, a little bit like, uh, like the NBA to me. Go ahead, Winter. Uh, thanks for bringing up WrestleMania, Jones. I actually think that, as, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I think I feel like most people would just give WrestleMania shit. At least most people that I knew, you know, it's fake. It's not giving real wrestling. I think WrestleMania is actually really, it's pretty awesome. Like the whole WWE stuff. I mean, they're great actors. They're just swole. I mean, these guys are enormous just doing fake wrestling acting. I don't see it being any different from other kind of reality TV in my mind. You know, you got all your um, housewives of Orange County or housewives of whatever. There are tons. It's the same thing, but just for wrestling, like macho, want to see someone get slammed on the mat type people. I think they're the same, honestly, and I actually have a newfound respect for the wrestling world um, in my adulthood. Thanks for those headlines, Jones. <laughs> a lot going on in the world of sports, even with the absence of some leagues happening right now. Before we get into our great chat with Jack Blattman, going to kick it to Winter to talk through our rank order for this week, what you need to know about the top five. Yes, rank order today, lads, is going to be best middle school days. Now, I'm talking in a broad sense, kind of what made up kind of the best, your ideal middle school day. I'm not really talking about your specific memories of five days in your past. Uh, this is more, more general. Okay, so starting with number five, making the best snack trade at lunch. This would be, you know, trading an apple for a fruit roll-up with your friends. Now, pretty unrealistic trade I just mentioned right there. Who's going to trade an apple for a fruit roll-up? But, hey, you had to get the point across. I have to say, myself, I was always a school lunch kind of guy. School lunch kids, you know the drill. You were always sad when trades went down because no one, absolutely no one, wanted to have any bit of your school lunch. Number four, coming back from your doctor's appointment with McDonald's to lunch. You were a legend. You come through, sitting down with all your uh, middle school buds, and... You whip out a Big Mac or even a Happy Meal? Dude, it was game over. Kids were so jealous. Felt like a legend. Felt like the king. King of the table. Number three. Going to sleep over at your friend's house after school. This was always a great day. Knowing you had something really fun to look forward to. Um, I always find myself just messing around more. I was just so antsy to get get over and uh, have a great evening at the boys' house. Number two. Substitute teacher in the class you really do not like. This was awesome. Obviously, back in the day, wasn't a huge uh, Spanish class fan. So when we'd have a substitute, game over, day made. Let me just live my life and act like the class clown that I never was. Love those days. And coming in at number one, best middle school day was field trip day. 
hands down, best day, no doubt about it. I know back when I was in middle school, we were very arts oriented and we would always go to the local like Ordway or go watch some performance arts at uh, various places. It's always a great time taking the school bus with the, with the group, with the whole class messing around, doing a little, little middle school flirting. It's the best. And there, there you have it. Top five. Boys, what do you think? A lot of bus shenanigans for sure. This might be the first ranking where I'm pretty aligned with every selection. The only piece I think you missed for me was the middle school sports. I think in middle school we did them in the morning. And so that was kind of weird actually because I don't think we didn't have showers in school. So mostly everyone just must have done sports then changed and gone to class. Or maybe that's when we did them after school. But either way, middle school sports were, were very exciting. But I agreed with all the others. I feel like uh, you guys ever have like class day, like the last day of the year? It's like a half day or something like that. Like field day? Field oh, day maybe. Like dude, yes, that's a great call. Yeah. I feel like that's that's a great memory. That's wow. Just a that was easy a fantastic day. day. It's warm. You're, I think you're signing books. I remember you definitely did that in, yeah, I think you did that in middle school. You're signing books. You're saying you a lot of hags, throwing a lot of hags out there. And. And then and then you're just done. You head home early. Oh, yeah, no, that got it. Got to put that. Otherwise, I see. I think you nailed those. I gotta agree. Wow, you mentioning field day, guys. That I really that would have been probably my number one because I don't know, but you guys are probably the same. I was always like a super. I'm still today super competitive and field day. I don't know what you guys did, but there would be we had like ten events. There was. Run one, you know, one run four hundred meters, one lap around the track. Do a long jump, do a sprint, um, like do a sack potato bag run or hop, and you get you know, like you could get first or second, third place ribbons. And so it was always your goal was to collect all the blue first place ones. So that day was that day was definitely a, a fun day. Has your school had just numerous kids go on to do the decathlon in the Olympics? That those are like serious events. Like doing a long jump, we were definitely we were playing like capture the flag. Oh, <laughs> or no, like... we were no, they were like pretty legit. I think, and we must have had like a track coach leading this bit. That's wild. But yeah, it was it was very fun. Gonna head to our first sponsor break as we pay homage to one of our many sponsors, all of of whom we appreciate greatly. And right after that, going to be back with our chat with Jack Blattman. Be right back. What a great time to stay inside and enjoy some good old-fashioned family fun. However, at HasDude, we don't has just your classic childhood board games. Our hottest game at the moment is Boots and Splatters. Spin the wheel in the middle to move up the board a designated amount of spaces. Get lucky and land on a boot, which you can use to climb up a portable ladder, simultaneously splattering your opponent back to the beginning. My personal favorite board game is Ticket to Hide. This is basically a hide-and-go-seek game happening all across the U.S. First, you might be hiding on the West Coast, then have to ride a train to the Midwest, where you try to hide again. Pretty exhilarating. Our most popular seller is the Game of Strife. You move through life arguing about having a baby, arguing about going to college, arguing about getting a job, arguing about buying a house, arguing about retiring, until one of you emerges as the best arguer. Hone your debate skills and learn valuable life lessons with this fun family exercise. 
We also got jigsaw puzzles, which are pretty popular too. Check out HasDude Games before we don't has any games left. Thanks to HasDude Games for their pretty original and family-friendly games that they're willing to promote on our pod. Very family-friendly. Love, love their wholesome uh, set of opportunities to get the, get the fam together or um, help alienate those who really um, you know, don't, don't fit too well with the, with the program. I love arguing. I like that. That's what family's yeah. for. Watch out, Monopoly. There's a new board game in town. That's actually one of their other games. I know they weren't willing to, they, they weren't able to have time to fit it in the ad read, but they actually have Bopoly, which is, it's kind of similar, like, similar to Monopoly, but as you're moving around squares on a board that, sure, you can buy up properties, but it's more about saying bop to the person you're buying the property from as you kind of give them a little bop on the head. So similar to Monopoly, but it's Bopoly. So it's pretty different. Wow, super different. Anyway, really excited to welcome our first guest to the pod, Jack Blattman. Jack and I played soccer together since about fifth grade when we were tearing up kids in lower school, middle school, and then high school. Jack set the record for most goals scored in a single season at our high school, scoring 41 goals his senior year. He then went on to play soccer at Columbia, which is a D1 program in the Ivy League, and Columbia won the Ivy League title in 2016. So pretty exciting stuff. Jack, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. It's a, it's a great honor and a privilege to be on the pod. That's beautiful. We couldn't be more excited to have you here, to be honest. To be honest, we couldn't be more excited. Blackman, who, who do you support? I support Everton. Respect that. That feels like yeah. a good, noble, noble choice. <laughs> like, you know, you're not going for the big, the big six, but it's a team that maybe, maybe, okay, Backing up. Is that a jab? Just throwing and not going? Wow, Jones. My guess is, Jack, you tell me if I'm wrong here. When you were a fan, were they actually buying for top six, though? Was that back with, like, Tim Howard and, I don't know, whatever that that, that team? They, they had a very good team. Was it, like, pre-Moyes or after or, or post? It was, like, during Moyes' reign. So, I mean, I played for a team growing up that was, like, loosely affiliated with Everton. So when I was, I think, 11 or 12, we went over to England. Um, we traded their academy for a little bit, actually. And then we played in a tournament over there. Um, and so that's kind of where it first started because that was a pretty dope experience. Obviously, they, they had to be the team I supported after that. So I've just kind of stuck with it. And I'll say it's a very... Um, it's a very tough team to support. There's a lot of positives and a lot of negatives, <laughs> more <laughs> negatives than positives nowadays. But um, yeah, no, it's good. And I, I like to to be kind of outside of the top six. I feel like most Americans are kind of sticking with top six teams. Um, so yeah, it's good to be a little different there. I remember in the city, there's an Everton bar, right? Yeah, we went to it once. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, we went to it like, when I visited you in, in the city. It's in like Midtown. I, that, that was actually the only time I've gone. Um, yeah, but I should go there more often if I'm a real fan. Yeah, you just expose yourself, I guess. It was cool. It wasn't like totally packed, but it was, they had, they had the signage, they had the, you know, the flag, like scarves, that kind of stuff. It was good, good vibes for sure. Yeah. And that's the most Everton fans in one spot in the entire U.S. So (laughs) (laughs) all 12 of them. (laughs) That's great. Um, we want to know what is some of your fondest memories from the early days playing soccer, from fifth, sixth grade, when you were just tearing kids apart, sending them home crying. What do you remember most? <laughs> um, no, I mean, 
we had a pretty good partnership going up through like middle school into high school. I think that's actually something that was good for us because by the time we were upperclassmen in high school, we were playing together for like six years. But no, in the early days, developing that strong partnership was definitely something that was great. And um, yeah, I mean, we had a chance to play, you know, with with some good middle school teams um, who would just, yeah, we would destroy some teams. So it was it was a lot of fun being a part of that for sure. Before we get into the, the to the next phase of life, I think the best part for me was playing JV soccer when we were in yes. eighth grade, where we got that opportunity because the JV team was competitive, but not, you know, ultra competitive and they needed more players and we could use that extra level of competition because in eighth grade, we were kind of steamrolling everyone. And so it was us little like 12 and 13 year olds playing with some guys who were like 17, 18 seniors in high school. Um, and that was, that was quite the experience. Yeah. It was definitely a little bit of a look into like the physicality of high school soccer because Obviously, when you're 12 and 13, you're playing against 17, 18-year-olds. It's a completely different ball game than playing against other 12-year-olds. So I think, yeah, definitely getting used to the physicality was was interesting, uh, for sure. The best part was the bus rides when we would hear stuff that, at least for me, I'd never heard in my life before. You know, it was a really, it was a very much a, a <laughs> maturation process just going on in the, the, but the six bus rides to our away games during that one year. <laughs> Moving into high school... Your junior year, you kind of popped off to the tune of 41 goals, which was, I know, at least a record for King, and I, I think the FAA, our, our league as a whole. What was your kind of mindset going into that season? How did you approach it any differently, or just had your game evolved? You know, what were you thinking going in, into that, that junior year of high school? So, well, junior year, I think senior year was the one I popped off, but going into... What were you thinking going into that yeah. senior year of there high school? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I don't really remember that it was it was too different of a mindset than before. I think the, the big thing was that, like, it was, you know, me and you, and we were, like, the outright, we had to be the leaders of that team. When you're a junior, you still have kids older than you. They're typically the captains. They might be the leaders of the team. Um, going into senior year, it was my first year being a captain. And I think it's just more of, like, the leadership role kind of really embracing that and realizing that you are the people who need to bring this team to the places where you want to go. It's not going to be anyone else above you that can do it. So maybe it was just that difference in mindset and also kind of another year of development. But I didn't really have too much of a kind of a different mindset in terms of, you know, thinking that that was going to happen. That was absolutely outside of any possible expectations for that year. Do you think playing outside of school, which I know pretty much everyone you know, in high school around us that was trying to play at the next level, that was trying to play college soccer or beyond that, do you think playing outside of school, you know, either academy or on like a premier club or just, a, you know, at a club like Everton, how much of a difference did that make on your, your game, basically, and like growing your game? I think it makes a huge difference. I think if you're trying to play at the next level, you need to be playing pretty much all year round because, you know, that's what everyone else that wants to play at the next level is doing. Um, so I think just always having a ball at your feet, you know, all year round, not having, you know, six months where you're not playing, I think is really crucial in kind of taking your game to the next level. Um, yeah, especially so you don't, you know, you don't lose any of your, your touch, I guess. If you, if you notice now, like we're all, uh, kind of past our primes here, um, not playing <laughs> for like a few months, you can kind of go back and you, you tell a little bit of a difference with your touch, you know, it's a little rusty, it's a little out of, uh, of date. So I think definitely playing all year round is extremely important if you want to go to the next level. 
I had uh, I'd actually coached high school soccer this past um, year, and um, it was so evident who, which kids were playing full year, full year round, which kids actually cared, and and also to to the to to the next level, what kids actually understood, uh, what strategies we would apply, or how to like move, how to physically move on the field, some basic things that we I guess take for granted, considering we do that nonstop in all the club soccer that we've been playing. Yeah. Did you ever fear burnout? I did. By just doing soccer. I didn't because I'd I'd seen kids growing up and, you know, on my club teams that had gotten really burnt out. And some of these kids, you know, some of the best kids are the ones that get burnt out. But I was never really worried about it. I mean, I always just loved playing, loved being with the team. Like it was something that I honestly like never really crossed my mind. Even going into college, I just never really felt that. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting how some sometimes the best players get burnt out. You think it's because there's just a lot of uh, stress or pressure on them more so, and they get to their head. Yeah, that could be part of it. I think just pressure to, you know, move on to that next level. Maybe someone's not too keen in playing in college, or they're not sure if they want to do it. But it, since they're so good, everyone just thinks, okay, you should be doing that. And you know, parents put pressure on you, coaches put pressure on you. So it probably has to do with that, and just kind of not lining up with their expectations for you is probably a lot of it yeah that's a great point what do you think the biggest difference between high school soccer and college soccer is uh everything (laughs) no i would say that the biggest difference is the the pace of play i mean it's almost like an entirely different sport just how much faster it moves how much faster and stronger everyone is as an athlete and then also just you know as soon as you get the ball there's pressure on you like there's no room for for any sort of error. There's no room to take your time. Um, so yeah, I think that the pace of the game is just at a whole n- another level in college. What was it like being a part of multiple D1 tournament games, those college cup games where you're playing teams like Wake Forest, number one in the nation, both kind of the travel experience, you know, where the whole team's kind of making it a, it, it's a huge deal to travel there and it's a real game day experience, the prep, everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. What was the environment like and... What are your memories of that like? I have all all positive memories of that entire senior year, and especially that that experience being in, um, you know, the tournament and having the chance to travel and not be at school for a week and feel like you know a real D one college athlete, like at one of these um, you know big programs for a different sport. Obviously, soccer isn't as big in this country, so sometimes it was a little bit lost on us, kind of um, still being able to play against top teams, but not really you know, feeling like we got the, the attention of some of the other sports. But that experience was honestly amazing. Um, I was lucky enough to have a, we had a great group of guys. Um, we were all super tight-knit, super close. Uh, I think that's something that led to us being successful, but Matt, that made the travel that much more fun. And then going into the actual games themselves, um, the intensity was unbelievable. Um, you know, at Wake Forest, I think there was like uh, 5,000 fans or something crazy. Playing the top team in the nation. I mean, it was a different experience than we'd ever had because we had played top teams before, like ranked teams, but never something like that. I mean, they're probably one of the most historic programs in college soccer. Um, so being able to go down there and, and have that experience with that team, it was kind of a great way to, to um, I guess, end my official soccer career. It was like the culmination of all the hard work over years kind of coming into effect there. So no, it was, it was a great experience. Moving away from soccer a bit, um, do you think that playing FIFA has helped you hone your 
you know, your soccer skills, understanding the game better? I don't know if it's helped me understand the game better. I think the one thing it provides is just a huge amount of celebrations. Like you can really go anywhere you want with FIFA celebrations. So, you know, you could always bring that into a real game if you're feeling, uh, if you're feeling really bold at any point. I'm feeling a little spicy. <laughs> Jack, quick question about uh, now we're back to high school. What did you think about Eli's beard at that time? Were you a fan? Was it just too much? Did, do you know, did people gossip about it? I was a big time fan. Big time <laughs> fan of the beard. Especially because it was like you were growing it out because we hadn't lost in a certain amount of time. So it kind of like tied into soccer. It wasn't just a random beard. It had some, you know, some meaning behind it. So I was a big, big time Eli Beard guy. Thanks for waxing poetic on that. It did have meaning. <laughs> and I think it really helped us through, helped the team through a lot of hard times. You were the only one doing it. It wasn't like, you know, an NHL team. Everyone's like, all right, it's the playoffs. We're growing out our beards. It's just Eli. everyone. Everyone was kind of collectively growing my beard, if you know what I mean. <laughs> With that, we're going to move into our main topic this week, which is discussing the different game day experiences around the world. So whether you're going to see a game at Wembley in England or the San Siro in Italy or other lesser well-known stadiums, we want to talk a little bit about what the best game day experience is. If any of ourselves had to buy one ticket, go cash one game, you know, where should we, where should we be putting our money to get that ultimate game day experience? Definitely. Yeah. So I, I've had a great opportunity to go over to, to England a few times um, and to watch a, a bunch of different games, see some stadiums, kind of travel across the country. But um, there are two distinct, I think, types of game day experiences, at least at uh, the professional level. I think in England, I'm not sure about other countries, but it's probably pretty similar. You have like two different main kinds of experiences. The one is like the smaller club. You have the smaller club feel. It's much more of like a community feel a lot less touristy, going to the stadium, um, seeing like, you know, everyone that's at the stadium is local. You know, they all grew up there their entire lives. They've lived there and they're just super fans of the club. So um, I went and saw Bournemouth play. Um, Their stadium holds, I think, 8,000 people um, and some of the best teams in the world are traveling to play them there, which is amazing. That was a great experience. It's literally like the smallest parking lot outside the stadium. The stadium's (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, just... Their, their training fields are right next to the stadium. Like it's a very, very, I guess, hometown club feel. Um, and then on the other side of things you have, you know, you go to, um, you know, your old Trafford or the Etihad or one of these kind of bigger stadiums. Um, and you see, you know, the whole other side of it where there's a ton of touristy type things. Um, it's much more of a production than the smaller clubs. And that's still a great experience because you're going to some of the most famous stadiums in the world. But honestly, for me, I always preferred going to the much more like local teams. So there was Bournemouth that I mentioned. Uh, I saw Wolverhampton play, which was kind of the same feel. Um, I went up to Newcastle as well. Like these kind of much more community feel stadiums um, are just a whole different um, animal than, you know, the, the kind of touristy biggest stadiums in the world. So I always preferred the smaller ones. That's just my take. Were they just completely packed? Like when you're going to these smaller stadiums that can hold, you know, 5,000, 8,000 versus like the 20, 30, 40,000s, are they always just completely packed and, and you can find kind of feel the energy like surging through the, surging through the place? Yeah, there's never an empty seat. And you can tell that every single fan that is there is an absolute super fan crazy about these clubs. 
Um, so it's definitely a different vibe than um, the bigger stadiums where your average fan might not be as passionate. Um, but yeah, they get, you know, even the, the smaller stadiums get rocking um, for their teams for sure. Have you been to any games outside of, uh, outside of England or strictly England? So, I mean, I've been to games in the U S um, I would say that the atmosphere is not comparable. It's just completely different. You know, you don't have fans necessarily singing all the time in the U S um, you do have that. You always have that super fan section in those stadiums. Like if you go see, you know, um, you go to Yankee stadium and you see, uh, um, you know, NYCFC play, or you go to Red Bull Stadium or something. There's definitely the super fan sections, but overall, this the stadium isn't you know constantly rocking. They're not constantly singing the songs of their team. Um, so yeah, I've been to games here, and it's definitely a different atmosphere than the ones over in Europe. But in terms of Europe, yeah, the the only um, country I've been to is England for for games. When I think think back on like all the games I've been to, which which isn't, I guess some crazy uh, laundry list per se. Um, but uh, I think that was a really, really significant moment for me. And probably I have like two games I can think in my mind of all time games that I've been to. And, and that one uh, winter, that one that you and I went to was awesome. Yes. Because it was Atletico versus Barcelona, but, but more importantly, it was, yes, it was being part of that crowd. And it was also getting to see Messi play right in his prime. And he scores, he scores the game winning goal, um, runs over in our section, all of this, that, that whole pageantry, the whole atmosphere was something that was um, something I'm just, I'm never going to forget um, that kind of impact though. And I do have another game. And, and if, if you guys need a second to think on it, I'll, I'll let you think on it. But my question to this group is, can you guys isolate one game that you have been to and viewed that was um, the, the most memorable, impactful game that you've ever been to? And, and if you can, why? You know, um, is it because of the crowd? Is it because of the stadium? Is it because of the location, the significance of the game, etc.? cetera? Um, so, so for myself, I'll let you guys, again, stew on this for a second. Um, and I was just trying to look this up. Um, U.S. Gold Cup fail hobber. I want to say it was like 2008. Could be wrong. Um, 2007, there we go. So um, Chicago has Soldier Field. Um, and it also has a massive Mexican fan base. And um, the Gold Cup um, final was being hosted in Chicago in 2007, and the U.S. was playing uh, Mexico. And the stadium was packed, right? This is a 60-ish thousand-seat um, stadium and packed in, like, in a, in a sea of green. You know, it's, like, like completely, completely Mexican crowd. And, um, and it's just like, you know, it's me in seventh grade, I guess, 2007. And I think a friend or two went and, um, and it was a great back and forth game, but the the image I still have in my head, I don't really remember anything else other than like kind of barely, barely being able to look over and, and Eli sees me doing this. I'm squinting as I'm trying to think through this memory, but I'm like looking at like the, the Southeast corner, I think of the stadium watching this, this shot go in. But, and you guys need to watch the highlights if you don't remember this already, is, um, and if not, we'll, we'll definitely dub in some, like, I don't know, commentary or something over this. That'd be really cool. This is the commentary. You're actually, you're <laughs> nailing it. Keep going. And it's a, I think it's like a corner kick that goes in the box and then it's deflected out maybe. And it, it bounces. It's a volley, like a straight up, not half volley, a straight up volley. It comes to Benny Failhaber, who's, like, young, like, being introduced to this team. Comes to the top of the box and he volleys it. 
cross the goal into the side netting, top of the goal, and the stadium, like, like all the Americans are going nuts, right? Which is like maybe a fifth of the stadium and the rest is silent throwing beers and stuff like that at, you know, a home quote unquote home game. And I remember sitting there thinking that was an insane goal and every, you know, gold cup final must be like this. And, and I have yet to see a gold cup final that has been as cool. I mean, you can think of like the 42 loss that the U S had against Mexico. Where they got creamed a little while ago, but other than that, that was like the most momentous moment that I can think significantly that I was at that game, saw that thing happen. Um, and it, I can always go to YouTube to relive it. That would be my submission. Who's going to top that? Who's going next? <laughs> I can take it. Um, go for it. I'm going to say, so I'll give kind of the full the full day story and the full picture of, of the entire day. So when I was in England this past um, December, uh, we were going up to um, Newcastle to watch Everton Newcastle. Um, and so we were staying right around Liverpool, which is where Everton is located for those viewers who aren't quite sure. Um, and so we had a, a three hour train ride up to Newcastle. So we're trekking all the way up for the game. Um, you get up there, you're surrounded by, you know, enemy fans. You can't even wear, or you shouldn't really wear the Jersey of the team you support. So I was, I was wearing an Everton Jersey, but I was wearing a sweatshirt over it just to be, you know, cautious to not rile anyone up. Um, and you go up into the away section and I don't know if any of you have been to an, a, like an away section, sat in the away section in, in uh, a game in England or in Spain or any of these other European countries. But those are the, the real super fans, people who are willing to get up early on the Saturday, travel three hours to get up to, you know, Newcastle or wherever it is around the country um, to see their team play. Those are the super fans. Um, and so that was a game that I really remember because, you know, we ended up getting the win. I think it was 2-1. Um, but after traveling all the way up and, you know, after we score our second goal to go up 2-1, and I think it's like the 80th minute at this point, and just having the, the whatever it is, 2,000 fans around you, every single person um, is singing. And it's even louder than at like a, I guess, a, a home um, stadium because, you know, everyone is so passionate about it. Everyone in this area is is creating this noise. And after traveling three hours, that was like the, the culmination of the entire day. And that made it so worth it um, traveling all the way up there. So I would say that's definitely my fondest memory of a game I've been to. Um, and just being a part of that away section is something that's pretty amazing, um, especially when you support the team that, you know, is uh, of that away section. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I just I'll I can take uh, take the next one. Yeah, I think. Um... It's probably going to be the Barcelona at Let's Go Madrid game. And mostly because, right, I mean, the fans were great. I wish I wish we, Jones and I, had done a little bit of research to, to maybe chime into some of their singing, but uh, we did not do that beforehand. Uh, but it was great to be there with the energy. Now, the game was a 1-0 game, um, Barcelona won. So there wasn't maybe some, there wasn't as much jubilee in the uh, Atletico fan section as, uh, you know, one might want. But I think the, the biggest takeaway was just the gameplay. These guys are so good. I mean, Jones and I would look over at each other almost like every every time a you know a pass was across the field, and they just settled it like it was nothing. You know, their touch is amazing. Messi's goal was fifty yards in front of our face. Uh, it was a quick little give and go around some defenders in the box. He rips it lower corner. Um, these guys are, are amazing. Actually, the, the 
the skill that stuck with me, and I actually just texted uh, Eli and Max about it because I was reminded of it, was Pedro. Pedro is playing for Barcelona, and he does this um, scissor on top of the box, beats a defender, and like rips it left foot and just misses the upper corner of the goal. It would have been amazing, but that was the the skill was done so quickly, like no fault, like no movement was was not playing like every movement of his body was perfect to get around the defender shift uh, the defender's weight and just get around him um it was it was actually breathtaking to see someone move so fast uh, and and then rip a powerful shot that almost went in uh to that day pedro has like a special spot in my heart when i see him come on the chelsea uh pitch i'm like oh there's pedro <laughs> please do well <laughs> it's kind of like an old maestro at this point blevin how do you feel about some of those newer stadium renovations like at Tottenham where they you know they built a brand new kind of -of state-of-the-art facility it's happening in all sports but also in soccer now do you think those newer stadiums that are kind of more modern usually larger you know has nicer facilities do you think those are good or bad for the fan experience I think it depends I think it's different in every case like if you look at um if you look at West Ham for example they just have the new uh I think it's called the Olympic Stadium um, they've done horribly at that new stadium. Or you look at uh, Arsenal, a team like Arsenal and Arsene Wenger saying that um, you know the club's soul was left at Highbury um, after they moved to the new stadium. So I, I think in some ways it's bad for the fan base and it's bad for the clubs and the atmosphere you get at the stadium. At the same time, I think it's an uh, indication of kind of where the game's going and the money that's in the game now um, through all of the TV stuff and, you know, Clubs have the ability to build these new stadiums that would never have the ability to do that before. Um, like, I think Everton's working on a new stadium that's going to be done in, in a few years. Um, and just the amount of money that's in it is definitely changing the game. But I think there's a balance to it. So I think in, in these new stadiums, there's still a way to keep it so that the atmosphere is still great. Um, you know, the fans are still going to support it. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely a fine line be, between, you know, keeping the, the new stadium kind of... Um, with the fans in mind and also just kind of trying to make it a, a money machine um, and having it lose, I guess, a little bit of a, of the soul of the club. Yeah, no, those are, those are all great points. All fair points. I looked up just for the fun of it, knowing we were going to chat about this. I looked up the trying to find articles on, you know, media outlets, others ranking top 10 stadiums in the world. Mm-hmm. And just to get a sense of like who, what stadiums people were throwing in there. And one of the ones specifically I stumbled upon kind of listed pretty much every single one of the top 10 stadiums were just huge clubs and massive stadiums. And I think they're kind of missing the mark on the fan experience and that game day experience, even though these might be, you know, you take all the fans out of it, the buildings themselves, maybe these are the top 10 most impressive buildings, but top 10 fan experiences seem to have some combination of what we just talked about between, you know, the crowd, whether it's the chance and the diehards that, have always been there and have always supported that club and really genuinely love the club, kind of the stadium staying true to the surrounding area, the, even the travel experience, like you touched on Blackman, just getting there, what that train ride's like and, and knowing all the supporters are traveling with you. And then ultimately the level of play, which at a lot, a lot of these places in Europe, you're getting best in the world, you know, crisp passes everywhere, incredible technical ability. And a lot of that can still be had at a much smaller game day experience much smaller stadium. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Makes me think um, 
almost in comparison to like you know you guys if you've gone to a few NFL games or not um how I feel like it, if I recall like it, it's if, if it's the common thought unless you have like really really good seats at a football game it almost is better to go watch it on TV versus actually go to the game itself yeah um and I, I wonder if, if it's the same you know measure for soccer that you get to these larger stadiums to an extent you know it, it, the game's not as visible um and so you might want to prefer watching it on a, on a screen but the catch here is that in soccer you have much more of a fan base culture and community and uh vibe so the, you know the chance the songs being a part of that is something you cannot get on tv um unless it's the camera deliberately showing you you know the the yellow wall in dortmund or uh, you never walk alone at uh, that place that we don't talk of. So, like, it's true. it's those um, <laughs> true and feel and feel. Um, uh, and and that's why you know you'll always want to go to a true football match, not the not that faux American football. Blavin, thank you for coming on, giving us a little insight into you know the D one experience, your background, game day experience. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. With that, we're going to head to our second sponsor of the night and give them a little shout out. Be right back. Introducing the much anticipated smartphone app called Life's Soundtrack. Download the app from wherever you get your phone apps and quickly get started. First, sync your calendar. Second, connect your GoTo music app account. A stylish wristband comes with that will read your vitals, such as pulse respiratory rate, blood pressure, and body temperature. This information will be passed into the app in combination with the music app and calendar information, which will be processed by the proprietary software to choose the music matching your mood. As long as you have Bluetooth connection to headphones or speaker, music will play 24-7, depending on your music app account settings. Now your attitude can determine the soundtrack to your day. No longer will you have to spend hours searching for the right playlist or song to play. Your soundtrack is waiting. Go make it. It's pretty inspirational. I love that. I, I think my I think mine. I, I got a demo the other day, um, and so I've had the wristband on, and I've been trying it out. Um, I I'm not sure if it works because I've it's just been it's just been ACDC thunderstruck uh, nonstop. Even when I'm trying to go to bed and uh, doing really peaceful meditation, it'll just come blasting on. So. I don't know if that's a heart thing. I don't know if it's a me thing or an app thing. I'm, I'm guessing the app's probably totally fine. So, um, you know, I got to figure out my own self, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, the beta test, maybe just, just you know, send them in that feedback, that information, and they'll, uh, they'll fix that. It's probably a bug, it sounds like. or Maybe you're just messed up. But you guys might be wondering, what does the calendar have anything to do with anything? Well, what's cool about this app is that you sync your calendar so that you know, if you have a soccer game, if you have yoga, if you have something on the calendar, your the app will in, intuitively and uh, intelligently kind of play music within, you know, leading up to that event to kind of either get you get you in the zone mentally for it. Yeah, again, so don't know if it's a me thing or the app. Uh, Thunderstruck will just start <laughs> blaring at like 3 a.m. I'll be sleeping. <laughs> That's probably, I think that's, that's the calendar feature kicking in. You're getting prepared for the day. So around 3, 4 a.m., your heart rate, your blood pressure, everything probably starts spiking pretty high. And that almost triggers Thunderstruck to start blasting. Yeah. 
yeah, that, that could be it. It, it. Or not. You know, I really seem to have been losing a lot of sleep. I think it's also, <laughs> it's also not helpful that I can't remove this wristband. I've been trying to take it off, but it almost gets tighter every time I try to take it take it off. I, again, really, really grateful for this print. opportunity. Um, also a little terrified, and, and I need sleep, so <laughs> there's a way we could. I thought... I, I thought I read something that you could just scream help into your Alexa and maybe something will happen. I mean, I don't think anyone can hear anything I say because Thunderstruck is blaring way <laughs> too loud. I'm surprised it's actually quiet right now. This is actually, this has been great. I, I'm so glad that you can all hear me and clearly and, and that I can express how I feel at this moment. Um, it would really suck if somehow we were to dump Thunderstruck over this exact concept i like the idea i think maybe you know obviously it's out there now the beta test but as they refine it i can see people people wearing this and kind of adding music to their life and music that fits you know music that's personalized to them love the idea similar to a mood ring you know do you think they want us associating them with mood rings maybe yeah i never got into it are they are they were they very popular uh, not with myself, but yeah, I think they were popular in the past. All right, we'll there, just there, cut that part out because we're we're supposed to be the ones like championing this product. So I was just kind of setting you guys up. Someone to say like, yeah, mood rings are great since we so. All right, we'll just cut that. Out. Sorry, keep going, keep going. We'll <laughs> no, you're good. We'll move into our last segment, which is world-renowned, New York Times acclaimed, over/under, where we rank things that are over and underrated only giving 15 seconds to do so. Today, the topic for over-under is one that all of us can relate to, especially right now, being stuck at home. Methods of obtaining food. I want to know whether these methods of obtaining food are overrated, underrated, or just rated, as they should be. Winter, we'll start with you. First, hunting and gathering. Hunting and gathering is underrated. I mean, if you're a good hunter and gatherer, you can live off your own, you know, hand, you know, just, you can live by yourself. You don't need any grocery stores. You don't need any, any, uh, societal needs. The societal, uh, you know, chains that are on. Fair. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. Secondly, over underrated Jones going to the grocery store to get food. Um, going to the grocery store is rated it is what you think it is. Um, it, it is, uh, it's time consuming. And, uh, unless you have a explicit list that you are following, it's going to take you time to need to find things and can get frustrating. Um, currently in this quarantine situation, it's doubly frustrating because you have to wait probably in a line to get in there. So, um, rated and, 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 and that rated is meh. Winter over or underrated picking up food from a restaurant. It is underrated. It is, it's been really great, honestly, for me, uh, going, just ordering on, online and uh, just going to go pick it up and then eat it at home. Great meal. Don't have to worry about cooking or anything. Underrated. That's fair. That's fair. Jones, over or underrated? The drive through experience. Uh, I have yet to try. Oh, okay. Um, drive through is, uh, on. Under underrated, underrated, hundred percent underrated. Um, it's fast, efficient, quick. You stay in your car. You don't need to go anywhere. You reach in, you pull out whatever you need. Um, uh, you can be jamming, singing some songs, 
you can mess around in the, the voice box that you're, you're responding to and getting your order in. Um, underrated. Underrated. Winter, over or underrated? Pizza delivery. Pizza delivery. I mean, look, it, it's underrated. Anything that keeps you in your house or keeps you from cooking food yourself uh, is underrated, especially in this, in this time, in this time, quarantine moment. Um, it's underrated. It's a fantastic thing. You can't argue with it. And lastly, Jones, over or underrated, DiGiorno's. Uh, DiGiorno's is obviously underrated. Uh, you cannot believe that it is uh, not delivery. It is that fresh, that delicious, that crisp, that good. Um, uh, and if it's not DiGiorno's, um, then it's it's clearly delivery. Then it's delivery. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's, that's how it works. Perfect. So. Perfect. And we'll leave it with that. Thanks again to... Our guest today, Jack Blavin. We got a lot of other exciting interviews coming up for all of you on the pod. As always, we are Footy Fellas, and we'll be back next week. Check out the Instagram, follow us on Instagram, watch Memento, learn how to read. We'll be back. Skew. but we were uh, I think we were 17 and we were dancing like we were 17 so uh, very high energy <laughs>